Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo. I'm sitting here in the Score Studios at what godforsaken time is it? It's seven minutes after two in the morning on Friday, Thursday night, Friday morning, post-draft. I'm in the studio with fellow co-host Joe Wolfon. What up? And the Score's resident draft expert, Will Seguir. What it do, baby? Oh, and Will is a, a Heat fan, and yet even he has been swept up by the what it do, baby Raptors fever in I'm Toronto all, right now. I'm all about it. Let's go. Um, all right, let's just start talking draft. That's literally what we're here for at this hour. So off the bat, let's start with you, Will, Mr. Resident Draft Expert. The Pelicans would be the easy answer because they got Zion. So outside of the Pelicans, who won the night? I mean, I guess the second easiest answer is the Grizzlies. Um, and not even so much for the jaw pick because that was obvious, uh, especially after the, uh, the Conley trade. We expected that to happen. But, I mean, going and getting Brandon Clark on top of that, and you're going to plug in Clark as your power forward next to Jaron Jackson. So you have a 4-5 that could switch five positions. You have a couple guys with high potential at the 4-5 that could shoot now. Because Brandon Clark, he hasn't shown it yet, but he's got a nice touch. He's got some potential there. Uh, and then obviously, like, the John Morant pick itself is absolutely outstanding. You have a point guard of the future, a guy that can he's ambidextrous, can pass with either hand, can get to his spots with ease. And, I mean, he's got some potential as a shooter, too. I, I'd like to see him try to knock down some shots. Obviously, no guarantees there, but you got to love what the Grizzlies did. Yeah, I'm, I'm in full agreement there. I know Wolfon is, too. Well, I mean, Cash, you obviously wrote a great profile of Brandon Clark that ran today on the score. Um, just kind of about like his motor and how he worked himself into being the player that he was after basically having no offers coming out of high school. Um, and I think it's really interesting just like how dramatically the identity of the Grizzlies has shifted over the past couple of years. And I know we were all super fond of the grit and grind Grizzlies era and for a team that you know, never made it to the finals and never really threatened to win a championship. I feel like that's one of the teams that has actually like the strongest identities and like cultural footprints um, of any team that was never really a serious championship contender. And the legacy of those teams, I think, will live on for a long time. But I think it's it's a really good thing that the team has sort of pivoted into uh, like a new sort of identity. I think with with John Morant and with those two super athletic front court guys in uh, Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark, like suddenly this team that was known for sort of like muddying the game up and playing super, super slow for all those years, I feel like it's going to be like a really fun up tempo type of team and a team that you hope I think can spread it out a little bit as well. But um, I'm wondering like from your perspective, Will, if, if there is a reason maybe that Ja would not pan out, what do you think it is that might hold him back? Uh, he might struggle defensively. Uh, he's got a lot of tools that'll help him. I mean, he should be a killer in passing lanes. He should be a high steals guy. Uh, his frame is really small. Uh, you wonder how an explosive guy is going to be able to handle the physicality of the NBA. It's easy to jump over a dude in college. Uh, not so much in the NBA uh, when dudes are bodying you, when you're trying to get into the lane. I mean, there's more space for him to work, which is nice, but you're also not playing Belmont. You know, you're not playing... Marquette, who was the best team that they played last year, right? right. And you're not going to have that kind of competition in the NBA. And I'm not going to hold that against them, not yet at least, you know. Uh, what he's done for me is prove to me that he's my guy from this draft. He's my personal favorite in terms of who I want to watch. He's, my, he's this year's Luka. I had Doncic all year last year. This is my Luka this year. I, I love this kid. Uh, I think he's relentless, but I am a little concerned about his size. And if he's not able to get to that 
you know, stretch to that three-point range, then I'm a little concerned there as well. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, though, it's pretty stunning how quickly the Grizzlies went from, like, you know, the nostalgia of, man, the grit and grind era is over to just, like Joe was mentioning, a new identity, but also... They legitimately have, all of a sudden, one of the best collections of young talent in the league, like bar none. Um, the pick-and-roll combination of Morant and Clark or Morant and Jackson. Jackson even has a pick-and-pop threat, too. But, like, the excitement and explosiveness of these pick-and-roll combinations is what's ridiculous. Like, Joe mentioned I wrote a profile on Brandon Clark. Like, this guy is an elite elite rim runner an elite finisher in the pick and roll as the roll man he's got elite athleticism he's got a 40 and a half inch vert the knock on him is a he's he's old quote-unquote old for a prospect he'll be 23 when his rookie season starts he spent four years in college but the way i see it is like people overthink prospects sometimes it's like okay yes he's going to be 23 when the season starts He's also arguably one of the most, not arguably, he's one of the most NBA-ready prospects in this draft. The guy can probably be an immediate two-way contributor. He's an elite rim protector. He had as many blocks as missed field goals this season. He shot 68% because he's like unstoppable around the rim. And I understand those numbers are going to dip once he gets to NBA competition. But even in like a a reserve role, if that's the case, if he's starting in the front court, this guy's going to make an impact immediately on both ends of the court in the NBA. And the fact that teams would shy away from him, and I understand, you know, not being a top five pick because you're going looking for upside, but you're telling me low teens, late lottery, no one would take a flyer on this guy? Like, that's absurd to me, and not just because I wrote a profile on him. <laughs> well, I mean, he was mocked in the lottery, you know, right. by, by pretty much every mock draft. So to see him slide all the way to 21 was definitely a surprise. Yeah, every um, one we did, he was in the lottery. Like unquestionably in the lottery for our mocks, like yeah. it wasn't. So uh, why do you, I mean why do you think that was? Why did he slide as far as he did? I mean teams have an obsession um, with wingspan, which is I mean I get it to an extent. When you want a guy to be an elite defender, you want him to be able to block shots, you want him to get into passing lanes, you want him to be able to frustrate the the opposition. But like, hasn't he proven that he could do that? You know. He's proven he can do that despite his modest wingspan, right? Because he's athletic enough for for not to matter. And his instincts are what, like his timing. If you watched any of him, or like you know, you just tried to watch as many highlights you can. His timing is pretty uncanny. And when you combine that with a forty and a half inch vert, it almost doesn't matter that his wingspan is only six eight. It's absolutely special, and it's just crazy to see. You know, Um, maybe we'll pass on the Grizzlies in a sec. But one last thing that I'm just thinking of, it's. It's funny because these grit and grind Grizzlies, we, we remember them how like they were a great team to watch. I mean, they were like the most exciting team, but we had a power forward and a center combination that got them to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph with a, com- a combined vertical leap of like 12 inches. Yeah. Look well what said. we got now. Yeah. You know, you look what you got. You got Jaron Jackson and, and uh, Brandon Clark. They can leap. They can move. They got some athleticism. They got, you know, it's, it's a completely different era and it's, it's very exciting. Uh, man, they're going to be fun to watch for yeah. a while. Between them and obviously the Pelicans, you know, like Joe and I talked a lot about the Pelicans in the last pod because we talked about the AD trade, but mm. Southwest Division got a couple young <laughs> yeah. up-and-coming teams, Definitely. Man. Yeah, for sure. A couple and, potential league pass darlings, And for let's sure. just say, like, yeah, the Zion pick was the obvious one. There was no way that was going to not be Zion. But, like, Jackson Hayes at 8, you know, they ended up getting him. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker at 17. You have a combo guard now coming in behind Lonzo and Drew. You know, let him get 
become kind of uh, get let him develop behind Drew Holiday. Uh, you have Jackson Hayes as your future center, so you have that position locked up as well for the uh, for the foreseeable future next to Zion. Like they're they're set for a long time, so exciting times in New Orleans. Yeah, and I'll, one thing I'll say about both of those teams, and we can segue to talking about the Pelicans, but both of them are like extremely light on shooting right now, uh, and I, f- I feel like if there is this, uh, like a flaw uh, that both of those teams have, as exciting as they're going to be, and as athletic you know cumulatively as those teams are now there's just not a lot of spacing in either of those situations and um that's definitely true in memphis i I just like don't really know where the shooting is going to come from uh obviously they have some filling out of that roster to do um but like right now i mean given the the shooting season that cj miles had last year like jaron jackson might be their most viable floor spacer which is kind of crazy um and that, that's sort of like the case with the Pelicans too, right? Is like they have all these athletes, they have all this length. I think they could be really special defensively, if not this coming year, at least in a couple of years. But where is the floor spacing on that team right now? Like, that you know, you look at, I mean, Drew Holiday can be a good shooter, but I think he shot maybe like 32% from three last He's season. 30s at best, I would think. Um and Lonzo, obviously, you know, his jumper is just a continual question mark. So Brandon Ingram. Here's a question then. Um, you're a young team. Is that priority number one? Are, if you're not trying to compete, you're just trying to learn. Is that such a bad thing right off the I, It's obviously not a good thing, but you're not going to live and die by the three because you're not too worried about becoming like a playoff contender to be no, going. Okay. But it's not about that. Like maybe it's not priority number one. And sure. obviously you want to get just like the most skilled players that you can you put them all together and you sort of figure it out as you go but um it's not necessarily about shooting the threes and living or dying by the threes it's about the space and if you have a player like zion who you expect to be an elite rim runner you'd prefer for the floor to be as spaced out as it can possibly be i mean you look at the formula in milwaukee and the way just sort of like spreading the floor has managed to work wonders for Giannis. Like, that's the kind of formula I think that you would expect to see for Zion, who's not really a shooter, at least not at this point in time. You want him to be more of like a rim runner. And a guy, whether he's doing it with the ball in his hands or as a screener, a dive man. For a guy that's going to maybe play one through five for you, you do. That's for sure. I'm just, I'm wondering if right now, like, it's okay. Let these kids kind of get thrown into the fire and learn. Um, But it's definitely an issue that needs to be fixed sooner rather than later. But I think right now, just let them, let them figure it out. Let them play. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing I'd say, because there's been a lot of talk about, hey, maybe the Pelicans Ah, can be a playoff team right away. If something might be holding them back, I think it might be just that they don't have enough shooting right now. But in making the trade that they made on draft night, trading down from number four, they not only pick up the eight pick and the 17 pick and the 35 pick, but they offload the last year of Solomon Hill's contract. And now they're looking at like... $30 $30 million of cap space. Shooters, baby. Friend of the show, David Griffin, coming through again. <laughs> David God, Griffin, yeah. his first two months on the job in New Orleans. Again, obviously, I understand that half the battle was just, you know, luck and, and the number one pick falling into their laps. But the man has done some heavy lifting in over the month. last couple. Yeah, in a <laughs> month, not even two months. To put the Pelicans, not just Zion, but like the supporting cast around him is starting to take shape. The assets for the next few years are starting to take shape like this team on the rise does not describe them and you just hope that um 
ownership and 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 those above even Griffin don't try to force his hand in the way Dell Demps was hand was forced right and they they tried to skip a lot of steps with Anthony Davis because that's the thing let's not forget here that what six seven years ago all this excitement existed when they drafted Anthony Davis and they blew that because they tried to skip steps they tried to make way too many win now moves and they ended up in a situation where they lost Anthony Davis because they never built anything sustainable around him Hopefully they don't make those same mistakes again because there is something really special brewing there if if they just play it, not even super cautiously, but just play it smart and prudently. Well, credit to them because, you know, the Dell Demps move needed to, needed to happen. He needed to go. And I love, 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 obviously, I think everybody does, the David Griffin hire. Um, even adding uh, Trajan Langdon in that staff as well is just outstanding. Um, what I really, really like is the fact that they're being patient with Alvin Gentry. He deserves an opportunity to continue to coach. He's a terrific coach, especially for a team that could play fast pace. He's the ideal coach for these kids. He's the ideal coach for a kid like Lonzo. He's going to put Lonzo in situations where he's going to look better. And Zion Williamson's going to flourish. But of course, eventually, you're, you do need shooters. And, and on that note, though, we're going to quickly shift away from the Pelicans. But good on the Pelicans for sticking with Gentry. Because that guy got a raw deal this year, man. And they really had made some strides under him, especially you look at what they did to Portland last year in the playoffs. So I'm glad that Griffin kept the coach he inherited because that would have been a really raw deal for Gentry to lose his job after the fiasco that Anthony Davis put them through this year. I do wonder, though, what do you think about them going out and getting a guy like Hayes at number eight, as a center who is not really going to be able to space the floor? For Zion and like, you know, Zion's future, like maybe he's not straight, like he's not going to be a five, but he might be playing some five and some closing lineups. And it, it, you think about the centers that you'd want to pair him with, ideally. I don't know if just like a straight dive man is the kind of guy that you would like, I think you'd you're want him to see, be playing alongside. I'd be more concerned about the Lonzo Zion combination than I would with the Hayes. And I love Lonzo. I think he's gotten some unfair criticism at times because of his situation uh, but I like I do like the ball in Zion's hands a lot like I don't want it full time but then you have Drew that needs it as well sometimes you know you right. want Drew running some offense so if you're gonna I, the good thing that's the good thing about Lonzo is that he's a quick he's a quick twitch point guard the ball's in and out of his hands and it's always the right decision but if he's not going to be helping uh, helping the floor spacing um, that might hurt in a Hayes situation uh, well it's just like you look at what happened in LA this year yeah. and they had this idea like they wanted LeBron to be playing off of the ball more. And, you know, Zion is not LeBron exactly, but it's like you're saying, I think maybe he's best served having the ball in his hands. Those guys that they got from the Lakers, Lonzo and Ingram, like not great off ball players, right? Um, so we'll trade. see. Still yeah. a good trade. Yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Nothing wrong with the Absolutely. Um, and I'm interested to see what they do with that cap space as well. The way I see it too, and it kind of goes to what I was saying about like just playing the long game is I don't know enough about. Jackson Hayes, other than what I read, and that stylistically maybe doesn't fit so well with Zion, but if if Griffin and, and his team thought that was the best available talent left on the board, whether he was or wasn't, if that's what they believed, then they should have taken him. So I'll say this. He does have some potential as a shooter. I don't know what that turns into. He's got a good touch. He's been working on his shot quite a bit. And he, he shot like chance. 75% from the free throw line yeah, last year, yeah. so He's, that bodes well. There you go. And that's one of the key indicators for a good shooter, right? If a guy's shooting high from the free throw line, you could probably rely on him to step out a little bit and hit some shots. Um, I don't know if he's going to be a full-time spacer, but I trust that eventually he'll figure something out. And I, I do like that pick all in all. 
Um, all right, moving on. A couple picks in the first round I wanted to touch on before we get to some losers. Because I guess they're steals for the first round. Saku Dumbuya. Did I say that right? Saku Dumbuya. Saku Dumbuya. Saku Dumbuya. Going 15 to Detroit. Um, based on the intel that we read, that seemed like a bit of a steal for the Pistons. I think he was projected as a top 10 pick by he some. Sh- he should have went 13th. <laughs> To oh, the Miami to your, to your Miami I'm a little heartbroken. That was kind of my guy. Oh, you're, um, you're telling me Tyler Hero doesn't do it for you? I will you? pass on Tyler Hero. He could be your hero. I'll pass on Listen, that as given, well. Listen, given <laughs> the guys that were still on the board, that that Hero pick, like it, it might be the finishing piece for me to finally accept that Father Time might have caught up to Pat Riley. Like I've been, I've been, a, even, even as I watch I just it, don't think he cares about the draft at all at guys, this point. Like, I, I, like, do you think he's even involved in the process of deciding that, on these picks? That's a good point. That's a good point. Do you think the camera or the, uh, the microphone heard my heartbreak on that one or... <laughs> That was tough to listen to, man. I don't, I don't want to buy listen, it. I don't want to believe in it. But. Listen, man. You know I'm the biggest. I'm all in on Pat Riley as the Godfather. I still personally don't understand how he's not Italian. Um, I, th- but, I think in another life he's but, he's a paisan, man. But, he's he's a mafioso. But, but I don't know. I just and and maybe it's very short sighted to say that the reason I now believe he's he's lost his touch <laughs> not after all the bad contracts he's given him the last couple of years it's but Tyler because Hero. he drafted Tyler Hero 13th you know what's over funny over. though like he he went and he traded up and got Casey Okpala which was a terrific pick I love that he was projected to be um, somewhere in the 20s uh, he's a terrific athlete uh, good handles good finisher uh, at 6'8 can play the 3 and the 4 preferably the 4 I would assume next to assuming next to Bam in the future. But then you go and you get Bol Bol, and you could just say, you know what? Let's just sit on this kid for a year. Let's see what happens to Bol Bol. If he's great, he's great. If not, who cares? He's number 44 in the draft. Irrelevant. We can move on from him. But instead, you trade him away. You had a chance to really get that young piece to maybe, maybe, maybe a guy that was supposed to be a top five pick. My, my highlight of draft night aside from Adam Silver opening the draft by congratulating the world champion Toronto Raptors, was watching Will uh, in a crowded, musty, hot, smells-like-pizza room celebrating the Heat drafting Bull Bull and only two minutes later becoming infuriated at the fact oh, that they had traded. Oh, it was way less than... It was like 10 was seconds, seconds later. Yeah. Well, it felt like two minutes. The worst, the worst part is... In that musty room. I was excited. I was getting ready to work on sending an alert to say, hey, this is who the Heat got. And I didn't look at Twitter when it came up that the Nuggets acquired the pick. And I'm telling you, I don't even want to talk about it anymore, man. It's, yeah. it's heartbreaker. Right. Well, on the bull bull note, I mean, it, it really is. It's hard, His whole story is heartbreaking from the sense that this guy was a projected top five pick coming into the year. The number five pick gets... Uh, roughly $10 million guaranteed in his first two years in the league. Um, he suffers a fracture in his left foot. Yep. He is a... He's bigger than a seven-footer. He's 7'2", seven I believe. 7'2", yeah. Yeah, 7'2", but with a very slender build, just like his dad, Manu Slender Bull. build and super long limbs. Yeah, so like... W- foot injuries are troubling enough for seven-footers, let alone seven-footers as slender as he is. And then obviously it causes his stock to fall, but he was still projected as a first rounder. I still had some saw some guys, you know, projecting him in the late teens. For him to fall into the forties, into non guaranteed territory in the second round, like that is, you know, forget 
the fit on a team and whatever. Like, that's just sad for him personally. He went from a lot of guaranteed yeah. money to... And he looked pretty dejected. Right. Like, I mean, I mean understandable. I believe yeah. he was the last guy reason. from the green room still stand, like, yeah. who hadn't been selected. Yeah. It was yeah. really tough to watch. And you just got to remember, like, these are... He's, what, 19 years old? 20, maybe? Like, 19, yeah. He's a young kid yeah. that, that just watched... You know, and you hope it isn't the case, but watch some of his future evaporate in the span of a couple hours. And you hope that he recovers and goes on for, to a long and you know lucrative career, but he obviously just, off to a shaky start. I don't want to be the corny guy, but you got to kind of hope like he takes that as motivation and actually like fights through it because he's had some issues, some character issues where people are wondering if he actually is, if he actually cares about the game. Right, so if he's not going to care about the game, what's what's to hope that he's going to care about recovering from this injury and coming in and playing? Right. I mean, for real, at this point, money. Like, he, yeah, he's got to earn, you know, yeah. contracts now in the NBA now because he doesn't have it. that guaranteed yep. first round money. Now, the the silver lining might be that he goes to Denver, where like they've got Nikola Jokic. They might still have Paul Millsap. We'll have to see what happens with his option. But he goes to a team where they can afford to invest in like a big man project. They don't need a big man immediately. As, right. as exactly what happened with Michael Porter, Porter Jr. Exactly, and that's the other thing I was going to bring up too, is that they just last year um, showed patience uh, in investing in a kid like Michael Definitely. Porter Jr., who was at one time the projected number one pick number in the 2018 draft yep. and fell to number 14 to the Nuggets. He had a severe back injury that required surgery. They let him sit out the entire season, again, investing in his future. So you'd hope that maybe there's a pattern here that Bull Bull can capitalize on where the Nuggets are genuinely interested in, you know, taking on these high upside projects that just require a year or who knows how long off, but for the betterment of their long-term careers. It's the new process. Yeah. Let a guy for sit me. out here and see what happens, yeah. right? It worked out for them. Uh, the other... Oh. What no, you? no, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, do you have anything Bull Bull related to that? No. <laughs> I think we've talked enough about Bull Bull. Um, yeah, the other pick before we get to more losers that I just wanted to get, I guess, Will's take on is, because you, you were pretty adamant that this was a good pick. I believe it was the Cavs that got him, Kevin Porter. Kevin Porter, They gave yeah. up four second rounders. And $5 million cash. And $5 million cash to get this guy. So me as someone that doesn't know much about, like, watches college basketball enough, but not enough to really, really know about these prospects. The way I saw it is like, okay, this guy has reported character issues or maybe I don't know if character issues is the right word motivation issues whatever you want to call it and I know people are saying oh but he's so high upside at number 30 the way I see it is like man you're giving up four second rounders and five million dollars cash sure he's got high upside but if he's got character concerns I mean that's like Robert Williams last year for the Celtics another they, guy that dropped right another guy that dropped they took him late in the first round I believe yeah, and everyone thought well that's such great value he's so high upside don't worry about the character concerns and then he ended up sleeping in and being late for uh, I believe his introductory press conference with the Celtics and the character concerns did not go away you know in his rookie year in Boston so like, is this another example of that why why should Cavs fans be okay with what they gave up to take Porter 30th I'm not sure he's gonna be sleeping in I hope not at least like we can't peg everybody to be like Robert Williams who who still might have a terrific career like he, he's gonna get some minutes next year right and he didn't look horrific in at times in his right. rookie season sleeping so. in one day is not you know an, yeah, indicating, yeah, an yeah. indication that he's just gonna like flame out because no of course of course concerned. but I, I like yeah the trade doesn't look ideal but you got to think you traded five uh second rounders for a guy that should have probably went in the late lottery that you would have had to pay a lot more for had he went in the late lottery so instead, you're paying him as a 30th overall pick, significantly less. And if he pans out, if that's your shooting guard of the future, 
you have a legitimate potential star, at least offensively. Uh, he is probably the most talented isolation player in the NBA, in the, NBA, in the draft. Wow. Definitely not the NBA. Um, he is extremely efficient in, uh, with his left hand. He's, grown, he's uh, had comparisons to James Harden because of his excellent step back. Now, do that's, I think he's going to be James Harden? That's, no. That's... But if you look at his step back, you definitely see similarities. He's extremely crisp, extremely fluid. Uh, if he actually pans out and becomes what he's supposed to be, that's going to look like a steal later on. Right now, I'm giving it 50-50. I like the risk because that's mm-hmm. what draft day is for. Go for it. Right. Go for the home runs because you should, especially a team like the Cavs. What do they got to lose, right? They already stink. They got nothing to lose. Go I, for it. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And like, yeah, four second rounders seems like a lot, but There's second rounder, five. Four. 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 Right. Yeah, yeah, four. The $5 million cash, who cares? You know, that's just like, that's coming out of the team's pocket. Like it doesn't affect anything. doesn't affect their cap. Um, like that, that money doesn't matter. And the four second round picks is like, it's like, if, if we learned anything on draft night tonight, it's that second round picks are really easy to come by. Like they change Seal. hands so easily. You can buy them. Yeah. Like you can get them in exchange for future second rounders. Like if you want to get a second round pick, you'll be able to get one. And ultimately, you know, like this is what you use them for. Like when you have a chance to take a swing on a guy that you believe in, even if the floor is low, like if you see a chance to raise your ceiling, I think you go for it. So giving up those picks wouldn't really concern me. I, I, again, like I don't know a ton about Kevin Porter, um, but something like, you know, when you hear character concerns, I just think like that could go any number of different ways. And yeah, it could turn out to be an actual issue, but it could also just turn out to be a red herring where like what you actually end up investing in is the guy's ability. And if that pans out, then, Something like, you know, being late for a team meeting or sleeping through your introductory press conference, as annoying as that might be, ultimately is water under the bridge. Some of these kids want to be one and dones, right? Not all of them want to go to college. Some of them don't take it seriously. They just figure, oh, I'll hit the combine, I'll tear it up there and I'll be fine. Yeah. You know, it doesn't always work out for everybody, but, you know, these are kids that want to just go straight to the NBA and, and Kevin Porter is one of those guys. So we'll see what happens there, but I like the beeline connection with him. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For Soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download The Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. All right, let's talk losers. Let's go. Um, Wolfon, start us off. Why are the Phoenix Suns, as always, a loser? <laughs> I mean, I like what did they have a plan coming into tonight? Like like was did this go according to plan to them, or were they just sort of like making this up as they went along? Because their night starts by they like they dump TJ Warren into the Pacers cap space and give up the thirty second overall pick with it and give up the thirty second pick to do it. So it's not just like they're getting rid of TJ Warren for nothing. And like, look, TJ Warren's fine. You know what I mean? Like he's not. I understand if Phoenix looks at TJ Warren and they're like, 
They probably you know see what? a looter in the riot. You know what? Like the, <laughs> but the, this they, isn't, they are the riot. Right. Like we don't. This guy isn't going to be part of the next good Suns team. Like, let's get off of this contract now. Okay, that's fine. But you give up the 32nd pick, and that's a second rounder, but like that's almost a first rounder. You know, like that's a good pick. And again, that turns out to be Casey Okpala. That's a good player to get 32nd overall. So there you go. Um, so I, I didn't really get that. I mean, they want to open up cap space, but for what? Like t- to get D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell? D'Angelo Russell. But. Book's best friend. <laughs> but then they trade out of the number six pick down to number 11. To get Dario Saric, who I actually like Dario Saric as a player, I think he's probably like a perpetual sixth man, but a good sixth man. Like, he can shoot, he can pass, he can defend a little bit. Like, he's a nice player to have coming off of your bench. But to move down from number six, I mean, especially given that he's about to hit restricted free agency and you're going to have to pay him his next contract, bit of a head-scratcher. And then you use that 11th pick to reach for a guy who is older than Devin Booker and has really, like, one discernible skill, which is that he's, like, an ace shooter, but, you know, doesn't seem like he's going to be able to defend at the NBA level. And, like, that's what you use the 11th pick for when at number six, I mean, like, Minnesota gets that pick and they take Jarrett Culver. Phoenix later ends up, you know, trading for another first-rounder that they use on a point guard because they are perpetually in search of a point guard. But they could have had Kobe White at number six, who like is a guy who has some tools and certainly has a lot higher upside than Ty Jerome. Like, it just none of these moves add up to any kind of coherent plan, and that like that's just been the story of the Suns, I guess, for the last few years. But tonight was a perfect microcosm of that, and I, I don't know what they were thinking. Here's what blows my mind: so you pick Marquise Chris and you pick Dragon Bender in the same draft, you messed it up. Neither of them are anything. So now you're acquiring Dario Saric, and you're saying, okay, now we have a power forward. We can actually plug in next to DeAndre Ayton. Let's see what happens now. All right? Well, guess what? You drafted Josh Jackson. You drafted TJ Warren. I think they're pretty sure they drafted TJ Warren, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Now you're ready to move on from Jackson. You've moved on from Warren. All right, you picked up Cam Johnson. Is this going to be the guy that's going to change everything for you? I, I love Cam Johnson. I'm a UNC fan. I love him. Sharpshooter should not have been 11th overall. Teams apparently were concerned about an injury. Did you see Kobe had? White's he, reaction when yeah. he yeah. found out? I'm pretty sure he wasn't and actually like he was shocked. He was I'm, obviously he was happy for him as his teammate, but that genuine shock you saw on his face was because no Nobody. one, including Johnson's biggest supporters, his teammates, no one saw this guy going that high. People had him in the middle of the second round. His one discernible skill is shooting. That's great, but. Like, when the defense for drafting him 11th overall, so I was, like, ripping it on Twitter, and a couple people replied to me saying, well, on the broadcast, they're comparing it to Luke Kennard. What? That's, what? that's a terrible comparison, <laughs> like, first of yeah, all. Yo, you, just, you just went 19-63. and 63. Yeah, and okay. you want Luke Kennard. You, you don't want Luke Kennard. All due respect to Luke Kennard. You ever want to jump on the show, hit us up. But, like, <laughs> no one it? wants, no one thinks you're going to be the savior of a 19-win team. Here's what blows my mind. You're trying to make up for past mistakes by making more mistakes. There are people that thought Kobe White was the best point guard in this draft. I personally didn't. I had him ranked third, but he is terrific. He's, he plays fast. He's terrific in transition. He's a great finisher. He's a great shooter from the perimeter. He's a three-level scorer. 
There, he, he, he has the potential to be a terrific defender. That could have been your point guard. Do you guys remember when Phoenix had three point guards, starting point guards on the roster that, at the same time? That is, that is three more than they have right now. They have none because Ty Jerome, who can play point guard, still is not a natural point guard. He is basically Tyler Johnson, who is on the roster still. Blows my Man. mind. Cameron Johnson according to some reports tonight, was red flagged, medically red flagged by a bunch of teams because of his history of hip issues. And the Phoenix Suns took him 11th overall after a 19-win season. This is why I said a couple months ago that even though he's an owner and not a GM or a president, Robert Sarver has officially taken the mantle from Ernie Grunfeld as my just pillar of comedy in the NBA. He's like comically comically incompetent to run a basketball franchise and you continue to see it you hate to see it you love to see it i don't even know how that meme goes anymore but right the suns are that meme and you feel for devin booker and i wrote about this at the end of the season that everyone thinks of devin booker as kind of a looter in the riot and it's like man this guy has gotten better almost every single year he's turned himself into a very good offense nba offensive player and it is so hard to judge him right now when he is playing in an absolute clown show of an organization. And even if they do, like, they don't even have the cap space right now to sign D'Angelo Russell. But, like, I guess if they, they got Aaron Baines in that deal with the Celtics, which was to acquire the 24th pick, apparently they're going to buy him out. That gives them a little more space. I still don't think that gets them enough space to, to sign Russell to the offer sheet that's going to stick. But even if they do get D'Angelo Russell, like... They're going to be terrible because how are they going to stop anybody? How is this team going to stop anybody? Just because D'Angelo Russell got the Nets to the playoffs does not mean he's going to get this horrifically bad Suns team to the playoffs. Now, maybe they're the Kings and they prove us wrong. I highly, 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 highly doubt that. Highly doubt that. But let's just recap the the night that they had, okay? So again, we've said they, they went 19 and 63 last year. And it sucked that they slid in the lottery. That's not their fault. But... To go 19-63 and 63 and then to have this night, they send out TJ Warren, the 6th pick, the 32nd pick, a 2020 first rounder that belongs to the Bucks, in exchange for Dario Saric, Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome, and Aaron Baines. I literally want to cry for them. <laughs> like, that's rough. That is really rough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're head and shoulders, I think, the loser here. I don't know if anybody else comes close. I don't think anyone else comes close, but, you know, I, I mentioned our old friend Ernie Grunfeld, and his ex-organization is a loser to me. First of all... It helps, apparently, to, like, have a lead basketball decision-maker yeah. on draft night. They don't, it. <laughs> they, they don't have one. They, they entered the draft with a top-ten pick, um, dysfunction around the franchise, and yet they entered said draft without a president of basketball operations, Tommy Shepard heading up their basketball ops right now. And with the number nine pick, they reach for Rui Hachimura. I don't want to rip Hachimura too much because I actually like him. I I think he could be a solid pro. But again, for the Wizards to reach at nine, it it looks worse when you don't have a a president of basketball ops going into the draft because then everyone's going to laugh at you and say, well, you reached for a guy and it might have to do with the fact no one's like steering this ship. Rui Hachimura came out after being drafted by the Wizards and basically admitted he was surprised because not only did he not work out for the Wizards, but he claims the Wizards had never even really reached out to him in the pre-draft process. So 
I think it's very fair to say they reached here. And it's a lot easier to excuse a reach when there's a competent front office in place. But when no one even knows who the hell's doing what and you reach for a guy and you've got the track record the Wizards do over the last however many years, you're going to get ripped. Well, I'm a big, big Hachimura fan, as I am with a lot of people apparently. But this is such a reach. Um, So much of Hachimura spells superstar potential. His size, his length, he's got a good touch. He has so much potential defensively, he has so much potential offensively, and he simply just does not have a good feel for the game. And when you are losing out on your soon-to-be supermax point guard for an entire season after he played 41 games two seasons ago, and I think I'm pretty sure he played 41 games last season, no, less than that, last season, you, you don't have that proper core to really do anything. So what do you do with that guy that just tore his Achilles he, he's, he's pretty much done. He's going to lose his explosion. He's, he, what is he now, like 29 or 30, John Wall? Yeah, he's getting up there. We don't know if Bradley Beal is going to be on this team. We don't know if that's actually what they want to do. Is Hachimura going to be your second best player if he shouldn't be? It's, it, it should take a long while because he's <laughs> still so Maybe Hachimura can be their president of basketball office. <laughs> I'm sure he'd do better because it can't get much worse at this point, right? Man. But reaching for a guy like this when you had an opportunity to take a Brandon Clark... You could have done that, and it would have been much better. At nine, his teammate, who was a big, big part of Gonzaga's success, he was the key to Gonzaga's success. Hachimura was that go-to guy scoring-wise for most of the game. When it came to the last two minutes, it wasn't him. They didn't go to him. Hachimura is not going to be that guy that's going to put the Wizards over the edge. Maybe nobody was going the to. The edge. They're not even close to but the edge, man. You're, like, right. yeah. you're not close to yeah. it. But it was just such a strange pick to me. He just doesn't seem like the proper fit. Mm-hmm. And I hope, I really do hope that he proves me wrong. Because I'm a big fan. Great character guy. Super intelligent kid. And we'll see what happens. But this is a perfect example. Like everything we've talked about with the Suns and the Wizards over the last few minutes. Like this is why bad NBA franchises are bad NBA franchises. And sure, some bad bounces have to happen along the way. Joe mentioned like the Suns, they couldn't control the fact that they slid in the lottery. But still, you you can control the decisions you make, you know, and what you make of those breaks, good or bad. And the Suns, the Wizards, a number of teams around the league consistently make the wrong decisions and botch their handling of these breaks, right? And, And that's why the Suns haven't even won... 30 games in I don't know how many years. It's why the Wizards the Wizards haven't been a real contender in any of our lifetimes. I it's <laughs> but this is why because they just consistently make poor decisions, short-sighted decisions, random reaches. They go into drafts without proper um, you know, executives in place. It's it's a gong show all around. Another and this is like a really subtle one and again, like we'll see how this plays out and how good Brandon Clark ends up being, but the Thunder trading back from 21 to 23 for no real reason that I can see other than to just like trim their luxury tax bill by like a little bit, even though they paid like, like a couple hundred million dollars for the roster that they had last year. Now it's like they're trying to pinch pennies. That just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially since like, you know, the reporting right now is that they're so desperate to shed salary that they're looking to just like dump Steven Adams into anybody's cap space. They're not winning games without Steven Adams. Which I is like if agree on that. But even like if they want to get rid of Steven Adams, that's fine. I mean like he he had a pretty rough second half of the season sure. last year. 
his contract is pretty bloated. Like, I can see them wanting to get rid of him, but then wouldn't you want to replace Steven Adams with, like, a young, exciting big? As opposed to just, like, taking another wing, like, that they're going to have to mold into, like, a shooter. I, I just... Basley's got great upside, but, I mean... But he's you, just, like... That, isn't have, that just, like, such a thunder pick, though? Of course. To like, you, it's, it reminds me a lot of the Terrence Ferguson pick. Right? Yeah. Like, or, like, Hamadou Diallo or, yeah, like, yeah, anybody always, else that they've drafted the over the last few years. It's strange because you have a guy like Paul George and you have a guy like Russ. And you want to win now. And that's pretty much what they came back and they said, we have unfinished business... Remember the unfinished business, and then you got eliminated in five games? Uh, drafting an 18-year-old kid is not going to help you with that unfinished business. Yeah. You're, you're kind of strapped now because now you got to get rid of Steven Adams and you got you got to get rid of Andre Roberson, and those are two key pieces to your success. I've been saying for a while, and I, it, maybe it's not fair because I'm sure the cheapness of Clay Bennett, the owner, goes into it, but Sam Presti, like, hasn't really impressed me that much the last few years. I I just feel like I'm serious, man. You look at his track record the last few years. I understand they got Paul George and they convinced him to to stay, but you look at how Oladipo and uh, Sabonis Ooh, have been yeah. in Indiana. Like it's not like that was a in hindsight, sure it was a no brainer, um, but I don't know. I I just don't think Presti has the shine he once did, and in the draft especially, like he has not hit. And again, yeah. maybe you can blame the fact that they make moves like this to save money. To I think that's the thing. And sometimes you just owner, don't know, right? right? Like if there's a mandate to to scrimp wherever you can and save money wherever you can, then sometimes it's out of the GM's hands. But but if that's the case, though, right? Like if Sam Presti is the basketball mind and the basketball executive that we all, at least at some point, thought he was, maybe still think he is. Sam Presti's a you know be a pretty hot commodity on the open market if. If he's dealing with a situation, you know, with an owner that's this cheap and and kind of handcuffs him every year in the draft, like why wouldn't he explore outside opportunities? And that's what makes me think, like, man, maybe Presti has a hand in this too. Like, maybe we can't absolve him of this. Yeah, I, think, I mean that's, that's fair, and <laughs> and we'll see how it all works out for them. I don't really, th- I think it's gonna be tough for them to find a taker for any of those guys. Yep. Like, I don't know who's taking Robertson now after he hasn't played in like eighteen months and like was wholly reliant on his lateral quickness in order yeah. to be effective. Like it was the a guy point can't, where he was the best defender in the NBA. And now like you can't really pretty much at the time that he got injured, he yeah, might've been was, the defensive was, player of the year front 100%, runner. He should have been. And that's what sucks. But uh, you don't know what he's going to do after this. I don't think they're going to find a taker for him. Uh, they might find a taker for Adams. I think, you know, a team that has cap space, but isn't going to be able to use it. I think should take a flyer on Adams. Cause I do think he's really good in spite of the fact that he seems to wear down at the end of seasons. But they're in a, a tough place right now. So, Yeah. Um, some people are pointing out the Sixers and Celtics as losers. I mean, yeah, I think they had rough nights. Uh, the Sixers had five picks. They ended up with only two of them through trade. It was Matisse Tybul. Tybul. And Canadian Marielle Shayok. Huge stan of Tybul. All right. Well, maybe stand. you don't consider the Sixers a loser then. I, I don't think the Sixers or Celtics, if they are losers, are anywhere in the same realm as the, the Wizards. And certainly not of the Suns. The Suns are by far the biggest loser. Listen, the, the Sixers got the best defensive player in the draft. Wow. Yeah. That is, that's interesting. Yeah. They got the best. In Tybul? Yeah. yeah. I think it's Thibel, no? I, I, I heard Thibel. correct. But um, that's good for them because their perimeter defense has been an issue. Like, that was one of their big weaknesses, I think, this past season. Even though they had Jimmy Butler, like, guys like Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, those guys were attackable, and that 
proved to be their downfall at he's, various points in time. Bible's so ready now, and that's that's a so great thing. Senior out of Washington, um, averaged five point eight blocks and steals per game combined, not right separately. And you said he could, you were saying he could shoot a bit as well. He has in the past. Um, he I I figure he could eventually become a good corner three point shooter. Um, I mean, he doesn't need to do anything crazy, but. I mean, that's, that's not to be seen yet, but I, I have faith in him redeveloping that jump shot. Uh, he has a bit of a hitch in it and some inconsistency, but I mean, a good, I mean, I, I don't really trust the Sixers to be able to teach him how to or figure it out because mm-hmm. they haven't in the past, but maybe that's a bad fit for him personally. But defensively, he is, he's going to be that guy that despite maybe being a liability on offense, he will be such a positive on defense. He's going to be hard to take off the floor. I think the shooting will be super important for him, assuming that this Sixers core remains in place just because... Because of the to, team itself. Yeah, to me, like, such a big structural issue that, that they I'm had sure. last yeah. year was, like, the guys that they needed to space the floor for them were not good defenders. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, if he's going to be able to play the defensive end, like, is he going to be able to stay on the floor offensively because they're so starved for spacing as it is? That's definitely tough. I think that that shot's going to be important for him. Um, But yeah, I didn't necessarily see the Sixers as being a loser. They did sell a lot of picks, which seemed... Kind of need to. I mean, they're in the same boat where they're just like trying to trim salary right now. Um, And it's too bad, but I I understand it, right? They're obviously facing a pretty big offseason. Trying to re-sign two guys to max deals, it makes sense for them, right? If they're trying to be cheap, quote-unquote, it's not really being cheap for them. They're trying to... If they're trying to give Tobias Harris a max deal, that's not particularly smart either, though. So, but it also shows that they're trying to spend, right? But it's—I don't agree with it, but I get why they would do it, right? They gave up so much for him that you kind of have to just hit a home run with this one. Yeah, they're going to be spending money this summer. You know, whether it's smart, wisely, or recklessly, they'll be spending some money. The only other note I have have to touch on uh, from the draft is that uh, one of the winners is Canada, first country, Canada, first country, first non-U.S., first non-U.S. country to produce six draft picks. draft picks in one year. Canada made up 10%. First of- non-U.S. country also to produce an NBA championship. Just throwing that yes, out there. Yes, that is correct. The Raptors won the NBA championship around a week ago. Are we ago. sure Real Madrid never um, won it? Or? No, but this is for real. Like You look at it right now, and Toronto is literally on top of the basketball world. They, they're NBA team's champions. Um, you know, Canada's got all this up-and-coming young talent. They just had six players drafted tonight, including four, four. in the first round. I mean, R.J. Barrett strolling up the stage in a in a suit jacket lined with the Canadian flag and the words Maple Mamba. Love it. Like Terrible nickname. Love it. Terrible you know nickname. Let's go. Yeah. Knockdown. I, I dig it. I hate it. I dig it. <laughs> I dig it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, Canada, Canada basketball, an obvious winner tonight. Yeah, to I'm with that. Um, and we spent some time talking about Brandon Clark, obviously. Um RJ Barrett. What do you think about RJ Barrett? I mean, we haven't really talked about him at all, but listen, man, he, you know, what sucks for him is he almost walked into the worst possible scenario going to Duke. Um, and he still had a terrific season. That's what's that's get what's some crazy. shooting around him. Man. Yeah. And that's the problem is you have a kid that can play on and off the ball. He's a terrific ball handler. He's a terrific passer. And he kind of went, he kind of just went into the lane recklessly, but because he had nobody to kick it to, he was kicking it out to Jack White, who was shooting 24%. He was kicking it out to Cam Reddish, who was shooting 31% on the year. Now he can kick it out to Emmanuel Moutier. <laughs> and that's what you... Emmanuel Moutier is... Mu- no, I'm just kidding. But um, no, RJ, you give him some shooting, man. You give him some floor space. And he could do so much. If if he could, if he could just show, like, show off a little bit defensively, he's going to be a multiple-time all-star. 
I'm confident in this. I hope everybody else will be soon enough. Um, he's one of the few guys that can walk into the bright lights of New York and handle it with pride and excitement. He's going to take that criticism. He doesn't care. He's got that kind of personality. He's really just a baller. Like he'll, he's going to go in and he's going to, he's going to play his role. I think RJ is going to be really good, man. I, I, too, I think man. he'll be a perennial all-star yeah. at some point too. Those top three, um, man, those are legit three I, all-stars yeah, in a I mostly think, weak draft. Sorry. I think people jumped off the Barrett bandwagon way too soon and Agreed. I, people seemed like down on the season he had as a freshman. No, he had an awesome season um, for a freshman that in most years would get you number one pick consideration. It just so happened that his teammate looks like an absolutely transcendent star. Ja Morant exploded onto the scene as this nowhere. like explosive athlete and phenomenal playmaker. Um, and like you said, Barrett had no shooting around him and, and given his skill sets and his kind of inconsistent jumper right now, he needed some spacing around him and he didn't get it. But if you look at the skill set, you look at everything he's done up to the year he got to Duke and what he did at Duke as a 19 year old, 18 year old, whatever he was like, I don't see any way that this guy's not an all-star at some point. He led the best conference in the nation in scoring. Yeah. And what blows my mind is. I, I saw somebody on Twitter, won't name names, goes, you know, I don't, I don't know how I'd feel drafting R.J. Barrett because everything about him is DeMar DeRozan. So, every, see, this is, this is another problem with the way people talk about the draft. Yeah. Like, DeMar DeRozan has his flaws, yes. You know what DeMar DeRozan is? He's a, what, a six-time All-Star, a five, whatever he is. Like, if, if you think that getting a six-time All-Star who, yes, has some flaws, but a six-time All-Star who can be one of the two best players on a 50-win conference finalist, if you think that is a disappointment with the number three pick, you are completely out to lunch on the NBA draft. And reminder, he's already, he already has a much bigger defensive upside than DeRozan did. He's a much better... He's What DeRozan is a, as a passer now, what he's been under the last year with Casey and what he is under Coach Pop, that's what RJ can be now. Okay? He's already got that feel for the game that DeRozan had to develop because he didn't entirely have it right off the bat. All those good things about DeRozan, he has those now. And that's a six-time all-star we're talking about. Be patient with the kid. He's going to be yeah. just fine. I think probably just what that sort of mindset speaks to is the idea that it is, like in today's NBA, tough to be a wing with a shaky jump shot, right? Of course. And there needs to be a certain team construct around you that allows that to like like allows you to thrive in that context right like you need you need shooting around you and and you like you need to have the ball in your hands a lot and it just makes it that much more difficult like you have to be that good at everything else to compensate for the fact that like you're not really going to have a lot of off-ball gravity like so i understand that but um but if what you're saying is true like and and it does seem like he definitely has like more defensive potential than DeRozan has coming in as like a ready-made playmaker where DeRozan took like five or six years to get there, um, that, that he's going to be able to do that. And hopefully like the jumper comes around as well. And, and we're, you know, talking about a guy who's a complete player in a yeah. few years. I think at, at worst, he's an average jump shooter at his prime. And I, that's perfectly fine with me for all the potential skills that he has. I think you're okay with that from RJ Barrett. Agreed. All right. You guys got anything uh, else to add? Are we, are we good here? Um, quick shout out to the Spurs. After they had a miserable, miserable NBA Finals watching the Toronto Raptors win with the guy that they gave up on, 
they were forced they were forced to give up on. It was a heartbreaker for them. I'm sure the fans are disappointed, but um, they got a couple really nice young pieces in Luka Semenic, who they kind of reached for, but deservedly so. He's going to be a terrific uh, player eventually. And uh, they got Keldon Johnson with that Raptors pick that they acquired in the Kawhi trade. Um, there's a lot to like about the Spurs uh, with DeJounte Murray there and, uh, Lonnie, and, Walker, and Lonnie Walker's there. So uh, some really good upside on that roster. Derek, Derek White. White as well. Yeah, there's another one. So uh, that's going to be a fun roster to watch. And what we were discussing before, we were, we were thinking maybe Brandon Clark ends up with the Spurs and they're going to be screwed for shooting. They got two really good three-point shooter, one to space the floor from the four. And another, you got a three, a two-three to play next to Lonnie Walker. That's two more shooters for you right there. So exciting stuff for San Antonio. Did they draft two Europeans? Uh, no, Keldon Johnson. Oh right, Keldon Johnson. Yeah. All right, yeah. yeah. It would have been awesome if, just because it would have fit the meme. Yeah. You know that great, oh, that great gif of, well, of hey, Popovich, like he sees a European baby. big yeah. man coming, and yeah. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, it was perfect for the nineteenth pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I got one more question for you, Will. For it. Okay, who is a second round pick that you think is going to pop? Ooh. Um, Can't say bull bull. I'm not allowed to say KZ either. No, you can say KZ. Yeah. That's my guy. Um, one that kind of excites me is actually, you know what? I'm going to go with Carson Edwards, man. I love Carson Edwards. Carson, like these, these like veteran point guards that are rookies, <laughs> they're terrific, man. Like you, you saw Jalen Brunson. He, he might've been the second best player on Dallas last year. And he think dropped Malcolm, the second Bro- Think Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon is another one. It blows my mind that some of these kids like, Carson Edwards is a little undersized compared to Brogdon, compared to um, Jalen Brunson. But, like, this dude is money. Like, he's already an elite shooter. He's chucking from 35 feet and drilling it with, like, contested shots. He was doing this against Auburn last year, I believe. Uh, He hit, like, 11 threes in that game. I think it was in the Elite Eight. Ended up with, like, 40 points. Dude's terrific. Like, these these point guards that are in, in college for three, four years that show they can play and contribute now stop hesitating and take them in the late first if you're a team that needs a guy that'll contribute now. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, Here's why I love the NBA. Draft night, bunch of trades go down this week. Bunch of trades went down tonight. I can't even keep track of the picks that uh, changed hands. And at some point of the night, one of the biggest NBA storylines is Dame Lillard dropping a diss track, a Marvin Bagley diss track. Just... How can you not love this league? Have you guys not? Have you guys listened to it? I have not yet. No, I tried to bump it a little bit, but it was a little too loud in the room. But right. yeah, that's gonna be something uh, worth listening to, right? So right. listen to it on the way home. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully, people are listening to Pound the Rock on their way home. Uh, for Will Segear, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, thanks for all the of course, guys. draft insight. Anytime for Joel Wolfon. Pleasure to be here, man. It's Pound the Rock. Mm-hmm.